I had just absorbed this knowledge from doctors and and kind of from family that it was just kind of punishment for not being thin. Mm -hmm. And if I were to just lose weight, it would go away. And so I really just lived with the, like I really believed it was my fault that I had this really shameful, embarrassing hair growth and that, you know, if only I had the willpower. Move away from the shame and feel less alone. Welcome to the PCOS and Food Peace podcast, where you will find companionship and never another diet. Hosted by nutrition experts, Julie Duffy Dillon and Kimmy Singh. We want to walk alongside your PCOS journey. There's a comfortable spot at the table waiting just for you. Let's begin. Chapter one, Jess Baker on shame, secrecy, and who's to blame. Hi, and welcome to the PCOS and Food Peace podcast. I am Julie Duffy Dillon. And I'm Kimmy Singh. We are so glad that you're here with us. We put this show together with you in mind, and we hope it delivers the companionship that you're looking for as you navigate your PCOS journey. So Kimmy and I have worked really hard to put the show together that shines a light on voices often not heard in PCOS circles. You'll hear from people like Jess Baker, Ivy Felicia, Danny Adriana, Sophia Carter-Kahn, and many others. Every interviewee was asked a series of questions about their PCOS journey. This episode features author and fat activist Jess Baker. But we will start today how we start every chapter of PCOS and Food Peace with a listener question. We gathered these questions on Instagram, through our Facebook community, or my email newsletter. The first question comes from our PCOS and Food Peace Facebook community. This is a free, non-diet group that brings together people with PCOS who are not looking for another diet. Yes, there are certainly uh, plenty of those groups, right? (laughs) (laughs) Way too many. (laughs) So the community asked us this question, what type of movement is great for people with PCOS? Julie, what do you think? Well, I think that... There's not one answer. And I feel like people are told you should be exercising this much and you should be doing cardio and strength training and don't forget the yoga. (laughs) Like there has to be a combination of all of those. But Mm -hmm. when it comes down to it, I feel like a person, any person, even without PCOS, like connecting to the type of moon that feels good for their body is going to be sustainable and feel good and long-term and all that blah, blah, blah stuff that we always talk about that's health promoting with exercise. But what Mm -hmm. do you think, Kimmy? Well, yeah, I mean, I feel like it's almost like a trick question because the key is learning that there's not one type of um, like one size fits all for for movement with people with PCOS. And so I think the real answer is, like you said, learning what works for you, learning how to listen to your body during the activity, after the activity, and um, even beforehand, how do you feel going into it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, like aligning with your body and it'll give you the answers. And, you know, something that I am connecting with is that when we talked to Jess Baker, she brought up a lot about when she did align with her body, it helped her to figure out what was the best thing for her to help her just feel more at home in her her body and to promote health in the best way for her. So I'm excited to get to that interview to hear more about it. And before we get to that interview, we're going to pause for a brief commercial break. This Q&A segment is brought to you by my PCOS and Food Peace course. My name is Julie and I help women with PCOS to promote health, make peace with food and radically reconnect with their own innate wisdom. I know it's probably been a long time since you felt like you could align with your body. You've been pushed to diet and diet and diet no matter how hard it is. And I have a feeling just like so many people that we interviewed for this podcast that you also were dismissed and told just to try harder even when it hurt. Well, after working with hundreds of women with PCOS, I've come up with a 12-step system that helps people with PCOS move away from diets and finally reconnect with that innate wisdom that they were born with. You were born with it too. 
I believe that you can do things like intuitive eating, mindful eating, all those non-diet approaches that you probably have heard other people do, you can too with PCOS. It just looks a little bit different at times. And that's what this course is all about. It's not another diet. Oh my goodness, totally not. Because I have been working for the last 20 years to help people move away from them. And so this is something that's different and unique and you won't be able to find anywhere else. A little bit about the course. It's self-paced and it's all downloadable. So whether you learn best by video, audio, or just reading, you get access to all those different formats. There's also a workbook involved that helps you dive even deeper and a support community that helps you connect with other people going through those 12 steps. The course also includes bonuses like a pre-diabetes or diabetes module. So if you are affected by that, you also can experience food peace as well. There's another component to help with advocating for better care, which is oh so important and a really big part of this podcast. So if you're interested in learning more, go to pcosandfoodpeace.com slash podcast. There you can connect with this course and there's also a course for dietitians. So maybe you work with a dietitian or you are one and you wanna learn how to do this type of system. I have a course for that too. So go to pcosandfoodpeace.com slash podcast for all the details. If you decide that the time is right for you to do the course, keep in mind, I have a special podcast coupon code. What you do when you go into checkout, it'll ask for a coupon code and just put the word in podcast and you will get 25% off the course. So again, go to pcosandfoodpeace.com slash podcast and you'll get all the details. And I am so excited for you to check it out. And I really think this is an important step that if the time is right, is something that can help you to feel more at home in your own skin. And honestly, everyone deserves that today because you are worthy and valuable just as you are. Kimmy and I are thrilled to share our interview with Jess Baker. She's a positive, progressive, and magnificently irreverent force to be reckoned with in the realm of self-love, advocacy, and mental health. She believes in the importance of body autonomy, hard conversations, strong coffee, and even stronger language. She does all of these in our interview, and we loved it. After creating satirical versions of Abercrombie & Fitch advertisements in 2013, she appeared on the Today Show and quickly became one of the leading voices in the current body image movement. That's why it was so important to include Jess Baker in the PCOS and Food Peace podcast. When not writing, Jess spends her time speaking around the world, working with plus-size clothing companies, organizing body liberation events, taking pictures in her underwear, and attempting to convince her cats that they liked to wear bow ties. Learn more about Jess at themilitantbaker.com. The interview with Jess is coming up next, following this brief commercial break. This PCOS and Food Peace podcast is being brought to you by Theralogix, the makers of Avocetol, an inositol supplement with a blend of myo-inositol and dechiro-inositol in the body's optimal ratio of 40 to 1. Inositols are nutrients that help to decrease insulin resistance, promote menstrual regularity, restore ovulation, and balance hormone levels. In convenient powder form, Avocetol can be enjoyed in your favorite beverage or smoothie. Available in both a canister and convenient single-serving packets, Avocetol contains 100% pure inositols with no additives. It also is the only inositol supplement that I recommend to my clients with PCOS because it does have that very important 40 to 1 ratio and is third-party tested. Order online today at theralogix.com. That's T-H-E-R-A-L-O-G-I-X.com. And during checkout, be sure to use my PRC code 127410, and you will get an exclusive PCOS and Food Peace podcast discount. Also, be sure to listen to the end of this episode where we will give you the opportunity to win a free 90-day supplies of Avocetol. So go to Theralogix.com and use the PRC at code 127410. 
Hey, Jess. Hello. Tell me how you figured out you have PCOS. You know, I, um, I spent most of my life having no idea. Um, I, I was looking back into my archives and preparing for this to be like, when did I actually figure out? It was 2013. And uh, the only reason it even came onto my radar, even though I like had all these weird symptoms and I was really embarrassed about it. Um, but the only reason I found out about it was because I had an email from a reader from my blog who emailed me, I think with some concerns about the symptoms and dealing with it and body image and mentioned PCOS. And I was like, I don't even know what the fuck that is, believe it or not. Uh, and so I, I Googled it and I found some really fascinating articles at the time it was on exogene. Um, and then I dug a little deeper into like the medical side and I was like, Oh my God. Like I was going through the checklist mm-hmm. of symptoms of PCOS and I had every single one mm-hmm. and I was so blown away by this. And so it, I wrote an article back in 2013 when I discovered this and it's called, I have embarrassing facial hair and I fucking hate talking about it. <laughs> and it was a nice. really hard. It was a hard thing to write. Like it was really hard. Um, but I thought it was really important. And, you know, up until that point, um, I was trying to think last night as I was contemplating what we were going to talk about. And I, started seeing PCOS, um, I started seeing PCOS symptoms when I was a preteen, if not before, like I have spent the majority of my life, um, either having misinformation or, um, not having any information. And when I was a preteen and I wrote about, I wrote a whole chapter about PCOS and land whale, because I feel like it's one of those topics that we're still scared to talk about. Yes. There's so much shame surrounding it still. And uh, so I read a whole chapter about it. I, I think it's called Maybe I'm a Hobbit. And um, I, as a preteen and earlier, you know, I'm not, I, I want to say that I, I noticed hair growth was the first, first thing I noticed. But I want to say I noticed that maybe even earlier. I had just absorbed this knowledge from doctors and and kind of from family that it was just kind of punishment for not being mm-hmm. thin. Mm-hmm. And if I were to just lose weight, it would go away. And so I really just lived with the, like, I really believed it was my fault that I had this really shameful, embarrassing hair growth and that, you know, if only I had the willpower. And, you know, I've, I started dieting at 13. So obviously I was, you know, dedicated to to trying and becoming thin and, and quote unquote, fixing everything that was wrong with me. Um, so I figured it out when in, in 2013, that's when I figured it out yeah. to give you a firm answer. on that. <laughs> Did you end up having to take that information to a doc and it was like, do I have this or was I it? Did. Okay. I, yeah, I, I did. Shortly afterwards, I went to my primary care, um, to my doctor and, I had seen, I mean, this is the doctor I've been seeing, I had been seeing for a long time and it had never come up. And so it came to her and she, I mean, admittedly compared to a lot of doctors was a fairly good doctor, um, but never, never brought it up. I brought it up. Uh, She said, let's look at, you know, the symptoms, let's um, do a blood test. We'll look for some hints and um, basically was like, yeah, you probably do. And then the thing that was offered to me, there was no information mm-hmm. um, other than, yeah, you probably do. And I like to call it spiralactone, but it's spironolactone. <laughs> and so she um, per- made, like wrote out a prescription and that was it. And what's really interesting to me is along with the blood tests, you know, came all of these other, other things, these like, you know, high cholesterol and all of these other things. And instead of connecting anything, I just feel like there, 
either she was holding on to information or she simply wasn't educated enough about it, which I think is very common. There was no connecting of that and insulin resistance and thyroid issues and all these different things that, you know, are very obvious that are related to PCOS. Mm-hmm. And so those things were treated separately with a lot of shame and, you know, insisting on weight loss and mm-hmm. insisting on all of those things. Um, and I know that it's all of those things are um, hereditary as well as PCOS. So mm-hmm. I just feel like really bummed that I, you know, went to this professional and wasn't given any information. Um, it wasn't normalized, even though is it one in five? Women. That's what that's what uh, the latest data is is suggesting. Yeah, yeah one in five. Yeah. yeah, and then also just you know like weight shamed um, mm-hmm. for these related things that you know are all <laughs> they're all so important. And and I hadn't it wasn't until six months ago that I was actually given actual real information about insulin resistance about. Um, glucose, about managing that, about mm-hmm. um, how to, like, what it, how it, how it, what it does to your body and how it works. Mm. And then, you know, things you can do to, to help your body in the most holistic way possible. So I spent 20, 20 good years wow. uh, really not understanding or knowing. And that shame and guilt that I felt as a preteen has, you know, continued until maybe a year ago. So that's a long time. That is a long long time. time. You know, when you were describing that, I was thinking about something that I don't, I don't, I don't think I ever really thought about it. You know, as someone who doesn't experience PCOS, I, I, there's so much I'm not ever going to get it, but you know, for so many people like you, like getting a PCOS diagnosis, you're probably also getting a few other ones like high cholesterol, um, insulin stuff. Um, you know, there's other things that come along with it. But then the other thing I was thinking about is like, oh my gosh, PCOS diagnosis is like totally hardcore gaslighting going on. Cause they're like, oh, it's just in your head. There's nothing going on. But yet it's like the whole body is involved in this diagnosis. Right. But they're like, come back when you're trying to get pregnant, you know, <laughs> and just lose some weight. Right. Right. Mm. Yeah. And it could have, you know, I just feel like, um, so I, I just feel really, quite honestly, I'm I'm pissed in a very pr- like productive way <laughs> because I'm now uh, learning and educating. Um, I'm learning and then educating others as well who are dealing with the shame of you know just now getting a diagnosis of of PCOS, mm-hmm. um, and it's just fascinating to me because all of those things that we just mentioned, um, they are connected and they feel like constantly when we separate them and then treat them with the, you know, omnipresent, go on a diet, um, forcible exercise, not only does it, is it harming our mind, right. Which is like part of wellness, but it's also really fucking up the actual issues I had. And so I can't help but wonder, you know, like how much it was exacerbated by these, you know, lifestyle prescriptions that I was given my whole life when it could have been handled in such a more healing, holistic way that would have really benefited my body, you know, like taking care of my body in the way that it needed to be taken care of. And I feel like so many healthcare professionals are just so oblivious to how harmful those prescriptions are. Um, And so hopefully there are lots of great healthcare professionals listening that are ready to take note. But so since that diagnosis, how has your relationship been with your medical team in relation to your PCOS treatment? I stopped going to the doctor for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's really harmful too. And I think that's something that, um, yeah, I'm curious if there are, you know, medical professionals listening. I, I, Linda, Linda Bacon has always been really great because I will shred diet culture and, Mm -hmm. um, and what is taught in medical school. But the reality is that a lot of professionals really do believe they're doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I think what I have realized and 
I make a point to thank the people who are doing this uh, weight neutral or fat positive work within any sort of like medical professional capacity. I always thank them. It's not this kind of stuff. um, It's been made very clear to me. It's just not taught. And so Mm -hmm. you really have to go out on your own and do the research. And we're not integrating the science that is showing how harmful fat phobia is. We're not integrating how, you know, the information of how harmful just prescribing diets are. And so people are still functioning on what they're told in one on what they're told and taught. And so they do think that they're doing, a, you know, like what they should be. They think they're doing a, a great service because that's mm-hmm. uh, their understanding. But I just really hope to see in the future more integration of like the neuroscience that's coming out because yeah. it's, met with, it's met with a lot of cultural pushback, but the reality is that it's there. So you have to go out and find it. Please yeah. do. It's very it, helpful. It, it, it <laughs> is. Yeah. And like for those that are listening that may not know this or remember this about me, like I just finished my master's in nutrition and I'm also fat and going into it, I knew that I wanted to practice from a fat positive perspective And that obviously wasn't a part of my education. And so um, I had to find other resources and it's exhausting. I mean, as a person of size, studying this stuff alone is exhausting, but then having to do your own education and unlearning of harmful harmful practices, um, it takes a toll. So those that are listening that are in power to make a change, please take advantage of that. I really have to applaud you. You know, that's something obviously that I, it's an experience I haven't gone through. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was, you know, after, um, her name is Dana and she works at Green Mountain at Fox Run, which is, mm-hmm. uh, an eating disorder retreat, um, that specifically focuses on binge eating, which I find fascinating because it's very uncommon. And I know there's a lot of controversy around their marketing, but I can just let you know that I left with my life changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, they have a registered and certified dietitian. Her name is Dana. And she sat down and dedicated, just made up an hour um, for a workshop for just two of us that were there that had a PCOS diagnosis and sat down with us and said, what do you know? And what do you want to know? And Mm. we said nothing and everything. (laughs) (laughs) And it changed my life. Because finally I understood insulin resistance and like, you know, how this, you know, my eating was causing spikes and dips and how it needed to be a little more consistent. And I was in a place where I was able to, you know, when, when you're fat and you are recovering from diet culture, the, it took me five years to be able to even think about being flexible or making any sort of slight change in my eating because mm-hmm. it was such a trigger. Same mm-hmm. with um, movement, but she really made that really uh, accessible for me. Mm-hmm. But I want to applaud you because she gave me some resources and she was like, there's two books that I would recommend that I have found helpful. Um, one I ordered that's on its way, which um, it's the PCOS dietitian's guide. Mm-hmm. And she said, that's really the only book that isn't hyper fat phobic and the other one that she said is helpful science wise um that might but just know that there's a lot of fat phobia in it was the pcos diet plan which was just updated in 2017 mm-hmm. and it's fat phobic as fuck i just like yeah. i can't imagine being in school being fat being surrounded by that stigma mm-hmm. and then doing research to help and just having to go through that, like reading that from a place where I like clearly understand was still hard. Oh, yeah. It was still hard to read. Yeah. Weight loss, weight loss, weight loss, weight loss. It will be hard weight loss. And I was just like, oh, like how, how long do we have to deal with this? Yeah. And everything that about PCOS is through the lens that smaller is better. And for me, I was already in a place where I was firmly identifying as Hayes when I started to specialize in PCOS and I'm like, well, I can't do that because diets don't work for anyone. So why are they going to work for PCOS? Like, I think, you know, why? And so, yeah, it, 
you have to be able to, as a provider, to be able to like, you have to kind of start from scratch because you have to look through things from a completely different angle. And um, how you were saying, even being triggered about maybe experimenting with your food choices, how that mm-hmm. could touch something you don't want to touch. Like um, as a provider that's coming from a, um, a weight inclusive or fat positive point of view, we have to, it's okay to take our time, you know, because uh, recovering right. is always primary, like permission and, you know, feeling okay around food is always going to be the best thing for PCOS always, you know, and then doing other things can wait. <laughs> it can totally yeah. wait. It's not messing anything up. Um, diet culture is the one that's fucking with it. So. Right. And it's really hindering healing. And mm-hmm. for PCOS, you know, I think um, the things that I took away aside from, well, I took away a lot of things, but, um, as far as insulin resistance, you know, it, it really did take kind of some tweaking of, and to be honest with you a year and a half ago, if I was listening to this podcast, I would be like, fuck this shit. I'm out. Like, I don't even want to talk about, <laughs> and that's your choice. Changing my food. <laughs> if you're listening, you're saying that Body we understand your choice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this is not an, okay. So I will do my normal thing of saying you are not required to do shit. Yes. You don't have to do anything. Mm -hmm. Um, but I had just hit this place and it took me, and I just want to be real about this. I have been doing body image work and research for six years. And I've not only been like researching it and learning and like, you know, deconstructing in my head, but I have been teaching lecturing across the country about health at every size because the concepts are so incredible and they make perfect sense. But there's a hell of a difference between understanding and implementing. And it took me, you know, five years to be able to even try and start implementing, Mm -hmm. even though I was excited about it. You know, I I thought, you know, this is brilliant. This makes perfect sense. This is logical. There's science to back it up. It took so long. So to go and learn that, you know, kind of tweaking my eating habits. What I loved about Dana and her approach is that it's not about taking away. It's about adding. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's a really, that was like a really key pivot moment for me in trying to heal this relationship with food. And I was, so I sat down with her for a one-on-one and I was like, look, I drink a fuck ton of coffee in the morning and I'm not going to (laughs) stop. Um, and I like it this way and like with these things and I am not going to, and she's like, cool, don't get rid of your coffee. How about adding, you know, some extra protein in the morning so that will help, you know? And so it was just this really great experience. And so I just encourage people who are like kind of toying with the idea of food variation to like, approach it from that place of you don't need to take away because restriction just causes mm-hmm. mental and physical side effects that are really harmful. Um, and learning for PCOS, the adding is, is the key was really, really life-changing for me. Yeah. And, um, one thing I really appreciate about your work and about stuff I've heard you say in other podcasts is that it's so important to not shame people for being there. So I'm sure there are people that are listening who you know, they embrace health at every size or they want to love their body more and get to that place, but they don't feel like they're near work, doing the work with food and with a dietitian. And we like, it's okay. Like that, that's nothing to be ashamed of, you know, just like there's, it's, you shouldn't be ashamed for being fat. You shouldn't be ashamed for shying away from diet culture, maybe in a slower pace. Absolutely. And it's not your fault. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, if you're, if when, uh, I just, yeah, it's really, I'm glad we're doing this podcast when I'm able to talk about food and variations of it. But I mean, there's no requirement for anyone to even venture into the subject. Like you can just listen to this podcast and be like, well, that's great for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, there's this pendulum that Deb Bogard talks about where, we start in diet land, uh, diet culture. And, you know, I lived a lot of my life there full of restriction, shame. And then when we find out that that's a sham, 
we swing 180 degrees into donut land and that kind of is the fuck you to diet land and it's eat whatever you want whenever you want as much as you want no restrictions and i think that's a really wonderful place to live it's super delicious um <laughs> i love it and it's natural and it's actually healthy and we have to go there and we can stay there forever. Like there's no need. And I think this is what you're saying is there's no need to, to leave donut land. Like there's mm-hmm. no need to do yeah. go anywhere else. Um, exactly. Deb offers a third component. If you were to think about it as a pendulum called discernment, where you kind of make these, decisions for yourself what I realized as I was living in in donut land which some days I live in donut land and it's great Mm -hmm. um often because the reality is I'm all along the pendulum right now because I'm still learning but the idea was that you know while I was in donut land I was realizing that a lot of the decisions I was making were just reactions to diet culture Mm -hmm. so they weren't really my own decisions they were reactions and I really wanted to like have that autonomous decision um, so I'm experimenting. I'm really at this place of like at the very beginning and seeing what works for my body and what doesn't and being gentle with myself. But in no way is that a requirement. I think that surviving this world is the ultimate victory. And for me, I just really hope that people know that they, whatever it takes, for you to feel okay in this world. And I have a background in mental health. So that includes a lot of things. It is perfectly fine. And to feel like if this conversation feels really triggering or over your head or maybe bullshit for a long time, I was like, discernment's bullshit. (laughs) Uh, That's okay too. And Mm -hmm. uh, it's all okay. And it's okay to, it's okay to be wherever you are and it's okay to not know where you're going next. So Thank you for that little disclaimer, because I think that's really important when we talk about food. Yeah. And like for those who are listening that want to hear more about that, you should totally read Jess's book, Land Whale. Um, And I know another thing you talked about in your book was about your relationships. And I would love to hear more about how you disclose to people in your life about your PCOS. Oh, I didn't for so long. I never talked about it. Um. As I got older, my PCOS PCOS symptoms um, increased, and I found myself with so much shame around specifically facial hair mm-hmm. um, that it was like this <laughs> this constant struggle to hide it from everyone. And I would like if I were to go outside with friends, um, I would turn my face so that like the sides of my face were in shadow. So it wouldn't highlight the hair, even though I was like spending hours every day plucking, you know, tweezing, I was shaving, I was doing everything I could to get just to make it go away for a temporary amount of time. And when it came to relationships, um, it was really, really traumatic. I had a moment where, my partner of a, of who ended up being a partner for a couple of years, um, like kind of stroked my face, which is just super sexy and romantic. And we both realized that he had kind of felt the stubble and it was just, it was this like 10 second, not even five second interaction where he just pulled his hand away and never did it again. And we never talked about it. And I would just, like, it was so reinforced in that moment, this, like, shame and, like, I am broken and there is something wrong with me. And then that translated into I'm not desirable (laughs) and Mm -hmm. all of these things. And um, and we never talked about it. Um, I went through a period where I was, where I was single and I was like, for for a while, and I was like, I don't want a partner because... I don't want to have to deal with PCOS and them seeing it and dealing with all of the complications of trying to hide it from someone all the time. And so, I mean, it really has impacted my relationships in a huge way. Um, Only recently with the partner I have, we've been together for about five years. um, 
only last year did I have a conversation with him um, where I just said it. You know, like we had been together in bed, waking up next to each other for years. He knew that I had PCOS, or at least he knew that I had uh, facial hair, which has gotten stronger and darker. <laughs> and um, I was like, babe, um, I have facial hair. And it was the first time I had ever said that out loud. Mm-hmm. And he was just like, I know. And I was like, of course he knows. I mean, it's obvious. <laughs> but like, how can he be so neutral about this? And I was like, he doesn't, he doesn't get it. I know he's a smart, smart guy, but doesn't get it. And I was like, okay, but it's really unsexy. And that was still like how I felt. He, he looked at me and he was so kind. Was, my partner is just the best, but he looked at me and he was like, I can, I can think of a lot of things that are unsex, like unsexier. And it was just this very neutral comment to be like, you're okay. Like mm-hmm. we're, it's all okay. Mm-hmm. And that, then I like, I just remember we were watching television and for the first time I put my whole head on his arm and that was really significant because mm-hmm. I had not allowed my, my cheeks to touch another person's skin in decades. And it was just this really beautiful moment of just like acceptance, naming the monster that felt scary, realizing that it wasn't a monster for me anymore. Um, I do, I do have laser hair removal now Mm -hmm. because it has become so, because it's just something that I really, and this is really interesting when we, when we get into the concept of body autonomy and like, what are you allowed to change about your body? Yes. What kind of haircut are you allowed to have? Are you allowed to get tattoos? Those all seem okay. Are you allowed to get laser hair removal? Mm-hmm. Um, some people are on the fence. What if I told you that because it's PCOS and hormone related, it always comes back and it's not permanent? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, about it. I don't know. Um, but it, it doesn't get rid of it, but it does lessen the work mm-hmm. that I do because mm-hmm. I do shave and all of that. And there are lots of people out there rocking full beards mm-hmm. and I love them for it. And I think it's incredible. I think it is. Um, and they're just incredible people. And so I think, you know, there's a whole host of things to choose from for me. For me, it's one of the things that I will speak about and I will um, be honest about and open about. And it's also something that I choose to maintain, kind of like shaving my legs. I'm a leg shaver. So mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm kind of a hair remover. <laughs> <laughs> so it's something that I do do. Um, but that's also not necessary, I think. Mm-hmm. And I also shared what was interesting with me is interesting to me was I was in, I was in Jamaica um, last year and just an incredible experience. And for some reason it felt a little more empowering. I was on my own. I was traveling solo and I re- I was thinking about how like a month before I had read a comment on the internet about how like, Oh, I think Jess Baker has a beard as like some derogatory comment. And I was like, I'm in Jamaica. I'm feeling real fine. I just took a shower. I'm going to post a picture of me like pre-shave with like shaving cream on my face. (laughs) And I think the caption was something like living that PCOS life. Um, And it was such, I mean, this is the, that was a daily practice for me. Right. But to put that on the internet was a first. Mm-hmm. And I could not believe the comment section underneath hundreds, maybe several hundred um, people who also have PCOS, who've also been silent about, who also felt alone their entire life mm-hmm. were just floored that I would do this and so grateful to not feel alone. And that's when I was like, oh we're done hiding this shit. Like we're going to air it all. I'm going to write, you know, a chapter about it. <laughs> we're going to talk about because the shame and, and the, the shame and the secrecy has to stop because we're not alone. And yeah. we, we go back to that one in five statistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember when you posted that, I remember seeing that and um, I feel like shame and secrecy is a big part of PCOS. Uh, it's ovaries and periods and, 
and and hair where people sometimes don't want it. And so it's like no one's talking about it. And uh, it's really honestly part of why we want to do this podcast is because we want people to feel less alone because, yeah, like that experience you described, um, so many people are doing that every morning with you, you know? Um, Absolutely. mm -hmm. Absolutely. (laughs) And you know what really frustrates me is we all, I would say the majority of us just from the comment section, have grown up thinking the same thing I did, that it was my weight that caused PCOS. And Dana was the first one to be like, that is complete bullshit. Totally. PCOS is not caused by weight. Mm -hmm. PCOS can cause weight gain. We have it so backwards. And then I love that, you know, in May, uh, new scientists posted like, we finally discovered the cause of yeah. polycystic ovary syndrome. <laughs> Turns out it happens before birth. And it's just this like, how long have we been shaming people who have this and telling them that they have this shameful thing that they can't talk about and it's their fault. Mm-hmm. And here's a prescription for a thing that will only make it worse. Mm-hmm. And so I'm I'm glad that you guys have this podcast that. Finally, some research is being done. I mean, oh, it's about time. Oh, it's right. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I remember when you posted that, and it was definitely a great moment. And and not to take away from anything, but I also wanted to tell you and listeners, you have not lived until you tried shaving your face with hair conditioner because it's you get the closest shave, and it's also so much cheaper. <laughs> so I oh, was actually to- smart. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't tried that. I have discovered men's razors, which have a closer shave, but. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I like the hair conditioner. I'm very smart. <laughs> awesome. Um, well, I wanted to um, dive a little deeper into the discussion on food and your relationship with food. And um, I, I really appreciated your chapter talking about uh, diet land and donut land and discernment and um yeah, like has PCOS affected any other part of your relationship with food? Um, I think that uh, yes is the answer, and I think for me, just having the knowledge about what's going on inside my body, and you know, I mean, I also have hypo- hypothyroidism, so you know, for me, feeling tired is a big thing. Like I have a lot to do and, you know, depression and all of these things that come along with, um, thyroid conditions and hormone syndromes. I, I think it really, I was in a place to hear what Dana had to say and to realize that for the first time, it kind of disassociated it from me and my my fat body and my shame and guilt around um, weight or my fear of um, anything related to diet culture. Because I think my fear really lied in if I make any alterations, I will quickly spiral back into diet land. And I refuse to ever go back to restrictive dieting ever. Um, So it was really interesting to learn like this very simple concept of um, people who have PCOS might want to eat a little extra protein in the morning. That can really help. Um, Learning that, you know, there's this, just the very practical things I think are just so important because of the spiking and dipping, you know, having a combination of fiber, protein, and carbs so that the digestion can do its thing and nutrition can be absorbed and your body can manage it. And what it came down to for me was not anything to do with weight. It was, here's how to help your body feel stable and for you to be productive so that you have energy Food is fuel is like such a cliche thing, but it really kind of separated that from dieting to me because it was not about subtracting, it was about adding. So do I follow like some very specified 
PCOS diet fuck no. I live all over the spectrum between diet culture and donut land and discernment. Like I'm still figuring things out and then trying things like I'm, but the, here's the important part is I'm asking myself, body, what do you need? What do you want? What do you want? What do you need? And then trying that and seeing how I feel afterwards. Um, and that's just giving me data and helping me figure out what, um, what's really helping. And I'm just taking these guidelines that I was given and kind of implementing them here and there. And I've noticed a difference. Like, you know, I eat, uh, you know, certain things in the morning and I do have more energy. If I, you know, eat every four hours instead of, you know, what I tend to do is like drink a ton of coffee in the morning, don't eat all day, and then eat a huge dinner. And so my body got really overwhelmed. And so I tried, you know, implementing like maybe eat every four hours um, and see if that's more sustainable and, and doesn't make you feel that tired crash. And that's been helping me as well. So um, it's just become more functional, I think. And I think PCOS was the catalyst um, because I, I want my brain to feel good and I, and I do want my body to feel good. Um, the unfortunate part is that there's just not a lot of information out there that isn't weight loss based. So um, I'm really looking forward to the dietitian's guide showing up. I also have a workbook and also, you know, finishing the blogs. I looked at your guys' uh, e-course. It just all looks good. Um, you've also spoken about this in your book and on this podcast. But is there anything else you want to share about how PCOS affected your relationship with your body? I think it goes back to being a preteen. I think it was the first physical manifestation of something that made me believe that everything was my fault. I think that's really like, I've been, um, you know, like I've had body shame ever since I knew what fat was. And that was reinforced to me by my father. My father is really one of the biggest sources of, of fat shaming in my life. Mm -hmm. So I was aware of fatness and how bad it was and, and all of that at a very young age. And so I already had that low self-esteem in thinking that my body wasn't good enough, even though it wasn't at the time a fat body when I was a young, young child. But I think that, you know, hitting puberty and having PCOS symptoms, that was like physical proof, right? It was the physical proof to me that I fucked up. This is my fault. Even, even though that is so drastically like incorrect, it could not be more wrong. Um, PCOS really was like this physical you did this to yourself, Jess, and now you have to, you have to pay. And it really, re, it was the beginning of reinforcing that, that penance, that punishment um, for having a larger body, which I have had since puberty. And um, so it's, it's really sad. It's really sad. And also what's fascinating is that PCOS has also been the thing and learning, actually learning about the science behind it and, and all of that has also been the thing that kind of was the catalyst for me to finally feel comfortable implementing autonomous food decisions. So it's also been mm -hmm. the reason that I have started this new uh, section of my life in healing with food. And so it's been, you know, the worst. And I'm also grateful for... Um, having it be that catalyst. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because it's really, I mean, it really has changed the way I, I view everything and um, I'm grateful for that. Yeah. You know, one of the themes that we're picking up on as we're talking to different people experiencing PCOS is that it, it is very individual and in what helps a person. And the only way a person can really have access to that information is if they're in a place of like, neutrality about it and curious and, and, and doing what you just said about like, what a body, what do I need right now? <laughs> and, um, and really, I feel like 
again, this is from totally an outsider. So I know I sound like I don't, I don't get it. You know, I, I appreciate that on some level, but like, I feel like there's like almost like this, the symptoms are there as a, as a way to guide what the body needs. And, um, that's why I feel like intuitive eating work does work with PCOS because the body gives feedback just in a different way. And, um, I don't know. I don't know what you think about that, but that's kind of something I've been thinking a lot about the last few years about PCOS and peace with food. Absolutely. And for me, it's not about getting rid of the, the symptoms mm-hmm. uh, necessarily. I mean, the, there are some like mental symptoms, you know, that I already have, you know, major depression. So I would like to not exacerbate that, but the, the physical symptoms uh, the weight gain, the hair, the, all of these, even the, inf- the infertility, um, none of those things concern me mm-hmm. and they're not, they're not what I'm looking. I'm not looking to those as, is my body wanting, is is what I'm doing helping or not helping the way I'm looking at the feedback I'm getting from my body is, is just in general how it feels. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not using PCOS symptoms as a guide at all, but um, for some people, I'm sure that's helpful. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's just being completely neutral. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm not out here to lose weight. I'm mm-hmm. not out here to decrease, you know, um, facial hair. I'm not by, through my diet. I'm, I'm here working with myself. On this really intimate level that I've never ever had before, and it's very new and scary and um, all over the place. But just really trying to listen to myself and reconnect my brain and my body because we've had that severed by diet culture. Um, and and I and I can't help but you know acknowledge that it all comes down to holistic healing. So mm-hmm. it's all connected, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we really do miss miss when we have these conversations in the real world is that our mind and body and their wellness individually and all the multiple components, that's all connected. And uh, I think that's important to, to remember. So I feel like a lot of um, body positivity is how, how you describe Lisa Frank Bopo. And I think that there are just real life issues like PCOS and chronic conditions that make it harder to just try to love your body and post fun pictures on Instagram about it. (laughs) And so how do you feel like acknowledging those conditions and those circumstances fit into all of body positivity? Mm. You know, I think one thing that's really ignore, there's a couple of things that I'm working on incorporating more into my messaging that I feel are forgotten. Mm -hmm. Uh, disability, chronic illness, that whole area, I just feel like it is underrepresented, under talked. It's just not talked about enough. It's not, um, addressed in the way that I think it should be. And when it comes to chronic illness, invisible chronic illness, maybe, Mm -hmm. um, you know, this, this, this mandate to love your body, this is what I've heard from a lot of other people. This mandate to love your body feels impossible because it feels like your body's working against you. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, uh, like, fuck my body. It's making everything hard. How can I possibly love it? And I think that exploring that feeling, um, that reality you know, my body doesn't allow me to do things I want to do. Um, it's really, really important. And so I, as, uh, as I evolve, I, I, uh, started out with body love because that resonated with me. Um, and I've slowly learned that, you know, asking people to love their body becomes another unattainable standard. And instead I, I really am looking towards body liberation, which means, essentially just existing in neutrality, free from other people's expectations, your own expectations, um, and really just living the best life you can with your body as a part of it, but not its focus, like not obsessing over this need to love it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like that really does resonate more 
when it comes to chronic illness for me. Anyways, I can only speak for me personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, what do you what do you wish the world knew about PCOS or other doctors, health providers? What do you wish they knew about it? For people who are listening that have PCOS, it is not your fault. I am so sorry that you have probably lived with a lifetime of shame. And I'm sorry the information is really hard to find. Um, for providers, I think that it, I, I acknowledge that it takes a lot of extra work to incorporate um, health at every size, to incorporate weight neutrality, to, to go beyond the boxes that we have in our medical system. Um, but it is life-saving for people. And that's ultimately what it's all about. Um, so I encourage, I encourage uh, medical professionals to do the hard work because ultimately um, coming to your patients from a place of compassion and also doing the work to understand these nuanced subjects and how they all work together, including mental and mental wellness and happiness. Um, I think we would see less of the problems. I think it's preventative too. You know, you won't have fat people who are terrified to go to the doctor. Therefore, whatever XYZ diagnosis they have just continues to get worse. I think really it serves everyone to do that extra work. And to the people who are doing the extra work, thank you. Thank you so much. Like every time I meet, I, when I did my book tour, it was very interesting. I think I met at least 50 nutritionists and dietitians that have their own weight neutral, fat positive practices. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be honest with you. They were all thin white women, (laughs) (laughs) which we can dissect around class and academia and also what we talked about, you know, so much. It's all, it's it's all that. Yep. It's all. Yeah. That's an accurate, that's an accurate representation of the field. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Which makes you even more special. So thank you for bringing (laughs) that for us. That's right. Thanks, Kimmy. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Kimmy. Um, but I hug them and I thank them every time. I mean, I just am so grateful um, for the, I know that it goes against the grain. I, I'm a fat person. I get the blowback, you know, every day. I know that it's not popular. Um, I see them as allies in this. And those allies are really important, especially within um, health-related spaces. So I'm just so grateful. So to those of you who are doing that work, thank you. Shout out to Dana at Green Mountain for changing my life. Um, And to both of you for being kind of that follow-up. I I really appreciate that. And I'm, um, yeah, I'm just really grateful. Thank you. That's so flattering. Um, So please tell me, Jess, what is the best and the worst PCOS advice that you were given? Well, I mean, they're, they're 180 degrees of each other. Uh, the worst, (laughs) the worst is dieting and starvation and restriction, which then causes binging. I mean, that just, well, that just fucked my body up from the inside out. Um, and the best is, um, don't, don't, don't take away, but add more so that your body can like fully, uh, fully appreciate and absorb the nutrients it needs to thrive. So mm. that was really helpful for me. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I'm just going to say, I want to reinforce this. The thing that I think everyone needs to know at the very beginning before they even start looking at the complexities of PCOS is they need to know it is not their fault. Mm-hmm. Women out there, people with ovaries out there if you have PCOS you have to know it's not your fault and I think once we internalize that for real that's when we can start looking at the other compli- the other like complexities that are you know all underneath PCOS and what it means and what it does um 
But we have to take that shame away first. And I think that's the most important thing that people need to know. Mm -hmm. I agree. Totally. I think I see um, so much lifted off someone's shoulders just from really when a person believes that, you know, because they've been lied to for decades that they caused it. Um, When we know without a doubt, it's genetic. It's totally a genetic condition. Um, So yeah, I I totally agree with you. And I think um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is um, how do you navigate like mental health and wellness and things like that. And, and one of the things that, um, I've really appreciated about your books and like also how you discuss things on social media, you do talk about like the shame and how, um, taking away the shame that doesn't belong there anyway, how that can be such a powerful thing. But yeah, I'm wondering what, what tools do you use to navigate mental and physical wellness for yourself? Um, I think for me, it's really multifaceted and I, um, have always felt really frustrated with the disconnection between mind and body. And so I, I approach them together. And so one of the ways I do that is I I use acupuncture and I feel like acupuncture has been something that's really, um, you know, I went in for depression and anxiety and yet they used my body. Um, and it, improved my brain function. It was just really fascinating. Um, so that's one thing I use. I do use therapy. I have a energy healer. I, um, constantly surround myself with people who do not believe in diet culture. I am around people who believe in body liberation and that is a luxury. Um, it also means I don't hang out with tons and tons of people in real life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'm fortunate that my, for the mo- for the mo- most part, my family is fairly food neutral. Um, so that's fortunate. Um, I do take medication um, for mental illness and also, you know, um, vitamins, uh, vitamin D and omega-3s especially. Um, those really help my body and my brain. Um, and I always recommend to people that they have like, in order to live like a really balanced life, we have to have like a support system that has, it's been likened to a stool with five legs. So five different things that you can rely on if you're having a hard time. And oftentimes I just integrate those things into my life so that I feel stable. Um, and the reason we talk about five is because sometimes some of those resources might not be available um, and you don't want the stool to topple over. So I think my five things are constant, uh, my partner and my family. Um, my therapist is one. Um, acupuncture is really huge. Books and literature that are weight neutral, body liberation focused. Like really books are friends for me and that's wonderful. And then also um, I have my medication, which includes like in the moment medication if I'm having a really hard time. I don't know if that really answers your question. It does. Yeah, totally. Thank you. I appreciate it. Kind of all over the place, but I have a lot of different needs. So (laughs) it makes makes sense that my, 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 my coping, my survival tactics are all over the place. Definitely. Um, is there anything that you learned about PCOS that surprised you? Everything I learned surprised me. <laughs> Every single thing. I, mm-hmm. It just blew my mind. I had no idea. And I'm grateful to know now what I do. And there's so much to learn. Um, I feel a little daunted by the amount there is to learn, but I'm dedicated because I feel like mm-hmm. not only does this affect me personally, but also I you know, can list off 20 people I know who are struggling with their diagnosis without mm-hmm. information. Mm-hmm. And I want to be able to be that bridge for them. Mm-hmm. So if you could go back and could tell yourself something when you got diagnosed with PCOS, maybe when you were Googling all that shit and you're like, oh, that's me, <laughs> you know, is there anything that you wish you could say or anything you would like to say to that person right when they're figuring out they have PCOS? I'm going to be really repetitive and just say that knowing that it's not your fault, that you didn't do anything to cause this, that you're not responsible. Um, 
is the thing that I wish that I knew then. And I, the thing that I wish that everyone else knew. I, it's just, I'm going to like say it a million times until everyone hears that because even people who are in the body image world working towards um, leaving diet culture behind, they still don't believe it because they've been told the opposite so many times. And so I'm just going to scream it from the rooftops until everyone knows. I think it's an important thing to repeat over and over again, because there is so much, um, so many people holding that burden that they caused it. And so that's keeping them from aligning with their body and keeping them from relationships and getting medical care. And so um, I think it bears repeating forever. And so I'm glad that you brought it up um, again. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm really glad that you gave us your time, your lived experience. This has been so um, great to, to hear about how you're experiencing things and you also crack me up. So thank you for that. Mm -hmm. And and so we really appreciate your time and um, yeah. So thank you for talking with us. Thank you for having me. And thank you both for the work that you do. I can't tell you how precious it is to me and how important it is for so many people. So thank you. Thank you for listening to the PCOS and food peace podcast. Do you want more food peace? Go to PCOSandfoodpeace.com slash podcast for a free download. It's your first three steps toward food peace with PCOS. There, you can also enter in a drawing for a free trial of Avocetol. That's a 90-day supply. Again, go to PCOSandfoodpeace.com slash podcast. Thank you for listening. The PCOS and Food Peace podcast was created by Julie Duffy Dillon and Kimmy Singh. Audio editor was Toby Lyles from 24 Sound. Show art by Katie Sanders from Pop and Gray. Music was by Tiny Music entitled Super Pop. Show notes were by Laura King. Thank you for listening. We hope this episode empowers you to experience more food peace. Peace.